Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. This morning is not a, a fashion quiver. We are not in a series. It's not something that we have been preaching for, for months. It's possibly more of a confession, more of an honesty moment. Are we okay for an honesty moment? They are sometimes hard things. But, but when I look at God, when I read His Word, and I understand His church, I believe God wants to do miraculous and take us and have, let us have miraculous encounters with Him ongoingly. The lives that we live, we, we, we don't just talk about miraculous encounters of someone else and testimonies of years and years ago. We get to live them. And I want to take us to a scripture this morning that really is about a miraculous encounter with Jesus. Because when I see these miraculous encounters, I'm going, what was going on there? What was the attitude of the person and Jesus? What was he doing? And we're learning and shaping. But before I do that, I want to tell you a story. See, many of you wouldn't believe it because... In Standard 9, when the, the Standard 9 version of Gabe probably could have wrestled my Standard 9 version of me to the ground. I was that small. I, I was tiny. And uh, the second shortest guy in the form, and a miracle happened. I got invited to a Standard 9 dance. Honestly, it was a miracle. But I was so conscious of myself at every level, that the photos of that thin and nice, I went to the, an amazing lady named Neef McCarthy, but the problem was, she was like five foot eleven with heels. So every photo you can see me, I'm kind of making myself as big as possible in the stand line. I was so conscious. And then the awkward of awkward moments, I had braces. And these were like, you can't hide braces. You know that awkward teenage kind of, you just can't hide braces. And every photo, it is ridiculous. I'm like, And she's this gorgeous brunette lady. I'm literally the most awkward kid in the world, hiding behind my braces because you can't hide them. And we, we get to realize that actually in all of us, there are these things in our lives, some very obvious, some we hide well, behind amazing masks that have been de- developed over year after year, behind situations or stories we come up with, But God wants to get rid of some of those masks so he can do something miraculous. And I would love to read a story about Jesus doing an amazing miracle. The same story is found in three of the Gospels um, in, in Luke 6, Mark 3, and Matthew 12. I would like to read from Matthew 12, please. And there are a couple of role players. There's Jesus. There's the Pharisees. There's his disciples. And then there's this man with a withered hand. And I'm going to read from verse 1, Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went to the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priest on Sabbath day... So I'm really getting this. What's happening here? Let me go back. Or haven't you read in the law that the priest on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned 
the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore it is unlawful to do, on the Sabbath, do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. If you see the screen of my iPad, you might realize why I cannot read the Bible. (laughs) My kids have had a field day with this iPad. It needs to be restored and healed. Who's the hero? It's Jesus. Jesus is the hero from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelations. Jesus is the hero. He comes up against the religious of the day, tackles these calling people to way more than just rules and religion. He's saying, guys, come on. There's so much more. He's, he's directing him and leading him and saying, it's not about a Sabbath day. It says, Sabbath is found in him. He is our rest. A relationship with Jesus is our rest. A relationship with the King of Kings. Not a day, not a moment we take out, where we kick out. It's found in him. And he says, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. But then there are these Pharisees. They're a tough crowd. They're watching. And they're coming and saying, Jesus, are you going to do a healing? I think the shriveled man, the hand, was probably ushered there, brought there, as some kind of setup for Jesus. They tried to do it all over the place. But we encounter these guys. They are the recusing crowd. They are sitting there, haughty, frowning, watching, judging. Like judges sitting around waiting for this thing to play out so they can bring their judgment on Jesus. They're sitting there with all their fancy clothes and, and bells ringing at the end of their cloths. Then they're the scribes and they're sitting there with all their formal clothing and attire just waiting to judge, waiting to bring the law. They, they, they're not interested in miracles. They're not interested that something isn't of this world. They're interested of what is of this world and what they can control. But Jesus breaks into that situation. Jesus walks in. When Jesus is in a room or Jesus is in a situation, everything changes. Jesus is in this situation. And then it says this amazing thing. He encounters a man with a shriveled hand. See, just like that awkward standard nine going to matric dance, being unbelievably conscious of braces, We all have things that we hide. This man with the shriveled hand, understand at his time of living, walking around with a shriveled hand, he wouldn't have been able to work. Dignity would have been taken away from him. I imagine him being, he he was the kid. Think about his life. There were no prosthetics. There were no um, Paralympic games. I got to hear one of the Paralympic gold medalists speak the other day. And he speaks about how his brokenness is the thing that's given him God's opportunity to speak to the nations. But in this time, at this age, there was nothing to come alongside this man. He became that son that would never fulfill his calling because of a withered hand. I imagine him as a school kid walking around and not being able to play sports probably, trying to play with the other kids, but being highly conscious of his hand. I imagine him being an awkward teenager walking around and in the middle of summer always having his bomber jacket so he can hide his hand under his bomber jacket. 
He comes to, to life and he's going to job interviews and he's saying, if I can just hide this one bit of brokenness, then maybe I'll be seen as normal. Maybe people won't spot my brokenness. I think every person that encounters Jesus have got a shriveled hand. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your, your work history. It's like this thing that lags. You can't shake it off. I just haven't pulled it off. The word failure has been used. There's been jobs that have gone down that you should have pulled off and you couldn't do. Maybe your school career. Maybe words spoken by your parents. I don't know what it is. But I know in every life and every person I've sat with, the enemy has tried to find that one thing, that what? The enemy has worked hard to expose that what? To say, would you bring that what out in a crowd? It's not like the first thing we go into dinner parties and all of a sudden, well, I'm divorced and I'm a failure. I never passed school and matric was the best seven years of my life. It's not like how we start. It's that we don't enter dinner parties and like, blah. No one wants that. People actually want you to hide your stuff. Because when you hide your stuff, we can keep it very superficial. And we get good at this stuff. And working hard to hide our stuff. And the challenge is, God says, actually, you want to know His will, you want to walk in His ways, then what you have to do is do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will. Why? Because all of us, before we are washed by the blood of Jesus and that glorious name that we sing of, every one of us, before I'm covered from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes, I am deformed. Because I've been conformed by the world, and when I get conformed by the world, I end up deformed. And maybe I'm good at hiding it, and maybe no one can spot it, and maybe it's so normal in the world that no one cares. But in the light of eternity, in the light of Jesus, I am deformed. He says, actually, by the renewing of your mind, I'm going to transform you to something new, something beautiful, something radical. That is the gospel. It's nothing more complicated than that. I love the gospel of Jesus Christ because I know where the gospel of Jesus Christ and that beautiful name goes. There is life. And in almost every meeting I've been in this week, some tough ones, I've sat with every person where honestly there are very few signs of life. And I've told the story of Mornay's son who lying on a bed in Netcare Hospital, lying there, and the doctor is saying there's no pulse because he got hit by a motorbike and the leg was completely mangled. There's no pulse in his foot. We're going to have to amputate. The king of kings comes in and there's a pulse. And when there is half a pulse, one pulse in a minute, is it enough? It is enough for Jesus to break in. And I'm telling you, even if there's no pulse in the natural, it's enough for Jesus, the God of the miraculous, to do something amazing. But we are so good at hiding our deformities. Makeup's not just a woman thing. Makeup's an everyone thing. It's here to, to hide up the scars. A year ago, I, I, I didn't obey a doctor and I carried on with life because I'm not good at resting. And so this cut that got infected and now I cut it open, now I'm all conscious because I've got a scar. I've had scars all over my life, but now I see it in the mirror all the time and all I'm like, wow, that's quite pronounced. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We, we get so good at covering up with clothing and big jackets. And everyone loves winter in Durban. We don't have, you don't get to cover up. Durban, you wear, you wear summer clothing. Or you come to winter, it's like jackets. And oh, I can eat all the pies because I'll just put a jacket over it. And um, maybe that's just me, not you. And um, 
but we have masks for every insecurity. We spend millions on dealing with our imperfections and our deformities. Thousands. I was so amazed when I went to America, finding and counting people spending thousands of dollars having their personal photos edited so that they could then upload them onto Facebook just to make sure that their deformities were covered. This is the world we live in. It's the norm now. This is not the exceptional. And into that world and that situation where this man had worked his whole life to hide his shriveled hand behind his back, under a jacket, in his pocket, his whole life. It's no different then as to what it is now. Man was no less insecure then as we are now. Man was no less judgmental then as we are now. Into that situation, Jesus says to Matt, that man, stretch out your hand. And I think it was one of the most radical decisions he made as he stood there. Because Jesus said, in a crowd, stretch out your hand. Jesus didn't say, stretch out your shriveled hand. We walk into rooms and we greet with our strong hand. Because we're right hand, we work the whole life and we come out with a handshake. We put our best foot forward. We tell our best stories at the dinner tables. Jesus says, stretch out your hand, and he's got a decision to make. Which hand will I stretch out? If I stretch out my good hand, I won't be judged. If I stretch out my good hand, no one, this judging crowd, no one will know that I'm broken. If I stretch out my good hand, I don't look needy. If I stretch out my good hand, no one will think I'm that needy guy. And you know what? I'll have a story to tell of a handshake with Jesus, which is awesome, more than most. But this man, in the midst of judgment, in the midst of years of consciousness of his own brokenness, he reaches out his shriveled hand. And he gets a miracle. He gets a healing, which is way better than a handshake with Jesus. He gets something supernatural. And you know what also happens? Everyone else there, whatever the condition of their heart, gets to see something amazing. They get to see Jesus, the healer, the miracle worker. Jesus encounters a broken man. He says, stretch out your hand. And he responds with his brokenness. I think... I look at the church and I'm saying, God, what is the church that will change the world? And I think it's this church. A church that will change the world is where the most broken can come and reveal their brokenness, encounter Jesus, and be fully, fully restored. I love the statement I encountered years ago from Ed Stetzer. He says, a broken church, a church without the broken is a broken church. If you're broken here today, you're in good company. You're at the right place. Not because of us and our ability to love you through it. I wish I could say it rested on that. Not because of our systems that we are working hard at to make sure we care well for community. I wish I could say it was those. But because of one, his name is Jesus. And he is powerful and he is beautiful. And when we forget and we somehow think we're not broken anymore, we'll never be the church that changes the world. We've had a, a tough run. For me to see my wife dancing this morning is really amazing because for three months she's been in pain. And, um, and, and about six weeks ago, we had a crazy week. She had an operation. She was on her back. I ended up in hospital for two nights because of 
well, trying to do plumbing, really, that's the simple answer. And um, <laughs> there's no way to... I was going to tell you a lie, but I thought, I better be honest now. <laughs> I've got to tell you the truth now. And, uh, um, and, and in one week, she's in hospital. I'm in hospital. Kids, we're trying to find schools because we need it. It's like a big week. And I found myself, so I'm in hospital Friday night and Saturday night, and I had my last drip, 6.30 on Sunday morning, and I rock up at church to come and preach because that's what we do. And I found myself, how are you? No, I'm fine. I'm hundreds. How are you? No, no, I'm fine. How are you? And then I read this scripture, and I'm undone by Jesus. Because I realize I'm a liar. I realize I'm good at putting my front foot forward. I realize I don't like being at the center of any attention. I'd rather give it to other people. And in essence, often, that is not humility. It's not humility. What you're doing is you're getting a handshake from Jesus and you are holding back from the possibility of a miracle. Is that all right? Is that too honest? <laughs> I, I don't like letting people down, to be honest. I, I don't like. So I, so I will go to the end and I will, and, and part of that not letting down is sometimes you realize people are in such a position themselves, you don't want to impose your story on them. Now we're fine. But you know what? It's a lie. And, and we've got to understand that the shriveled hand is not some, the enemy has one story. The shriveled hand is an opportunity for Jesus to do something amazing. It could be a deformed body part. It can be deformed thinking. It could be deformed relationships. It just can't make them work. Can't hold a friendship together. Can't hold a marriage together. It could be that thing that we work so hard to hide away. And it's sometimes it's so small and subtle. See, you, you've heard the story. I was tiny at school. I grew after school, which meant all of a sudden I became a decent sportsman after school. And I ended up playing first division cricket and all these wonderful things. But people assumed because of that and because I went to a big school in Durban, I must have played first team. And you know what I used to do? I just used to, used to let them think that. I'm not lying. Yeah, Sure. He said it. I didn't. I didn't. I played second team cricket at school, and, and I would just let people think that. But that's like inconsequential in many ways. You know what happened when my parents lost their farm? And I went from a kid of privilege to having nothing except for student loans and nothing else. A Ford, 5,000 Rand Ford Cortina bucky with holes everywhere. I didn't tell anyone. And I'd walk around and people say, how are you? And actually, I was completely shattered and broken because my parents didn't have a home. My family security was gone. And they would ask, how are you? And I'd go, I'm fine. For three months, I didn't tell anyone. Well, not voluntarily anyway. And you start realizing, what are you doing? You're just hiding a shriveled hand. What's the point? The point that I think when I look at this story, because we love the miraculous, and too often this, I've only ever heard the scripture preached in the light of Jesus addressing religion. But the greatest story is we worship a God of miracles. But miracles seem to follow our ability to be vulnerable and real. Apostle Paul says, 
But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is Paul, our Scottish Paul, and I'm not going to do a Scottish accent today. But he's wild, and he's vicious, and he's strong, and he says, actually, I'm only strong when I'm weak, because then his power rests on me. I think that's amazing. And I want to take a few minutes about speaking to this in the light of community. Because I honestly believe the thing that should transform the church and be different in the church is the ability for us to walk in this. To create a culture and a community where people can come in and be vulnerable. And it's tough. To be vulnerable means to be honest about your sin. To be vulnerable means to be honest about your brokenness or your weakness or just the general mess of your life. I remember those awkward moments, life group, and, and the new guy pitches up at life group. Why don't you tell us how life's going with you? I've slept with four prostitutes this week, and everyone's like, you just, everyone looks at the, the home group leader. What are we going to do now? Surely, if not the church. Surely. And I honestly believe there's a danger when, when actually the church is expected to be that community, but we're not that community. We don't have an ability to be open and honest. What ends up happening is a false hope. What ends up happening are superficial relationships that don't end up in real unity, that don't lead to life, that don't see transformation and will not see the miraculous happen in their midst. And through a, a man with a lifetime of insecurity about a shriveled hand, Jesus is leading us to a miraculous life. What did the early church look like? Well, they looked like a lot of things. It said 3,000 get added to their, their numbers in one day. 3,000. But then you read between the lines and you start seeing that they shared everything they had and all they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You know the amazing thing about that is? How did they know there were people who had need in their midst? We worship in a nation where people leave homes without electricity and running water, put clothes that are worth thousands to go into church. Let's deal with the elephant. That's called religion. Where we work so hard on the outside. But God wants to get on the inside. And we work so hard on presenting this strong reality. But actually behind the scenes it's not the case. It leads to a superficiality that I'm telling you will not change the world. And we are, and the reality, cultures of our world that are strong, selfishness and self-awareness right at the top. It's, 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 it's tough when people know my stuff. You know, when you have people, they have that moment on Facebook, it's like, I'm just going to tell the world my whole thing. Hit, ah, I want it back. And you take the attempts to get everything back. You've heard horrendous stories about WhatsApp groups and people putting things on WhatsApp groups. And they're trying to delete everything. If they could just shut down the whole internet in the world in an instant, they would do it. Why? Because we don't like our stuff out there. We just don't. We're not that vulnerable. And the challenges of being vulnerable actually is being susceptible to being hurt. When you're being vulnerable, you're saying, worship with your arms up is a vulnerable position. It's not warriors didn't run into battle with their arms up. Why? Because their whole core and life source was threatened, was able to be attacked. 
But there's something about redemptive vulnerability. Where our story doesn't lead to brokenness, our story leads to a vulnerability where we access the source of life to take us back to life. Vulnerability isn't an end in itself. And I sat with one of my best mates, trying to help him out of a very dire situation. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm just being authentic with my sin. I'm just going to be, I want to be vulnerable with you. And as long as I'm vulnerable with you, Jesus is still on the throne, he'll deal with my brokenness. No, vulnerability isn't the end. The end is a miracle. The end is a transformed life. The end is something that looks more like Jesus. The vulnerability just opens up the mix for Jesus to enter in when we allow him to become king and Lord in the midst of our brokenness. Vulnerability is not an end in itself. Our vulnerability should point us individually and together as a community to the sufficiency and the perfection of Jesus. Always. Always. It looks at and hopes in the redemption of the work of Jesus. I want to tell you, a vulnerable community where there's ability to be vulnerability is attractive to God and attractive to the unbeliever. And how we deal with it and how we respond. God wants to get in to our mix. I heard an amazing story of a, a new life group that started in the community. And, and, and there are some people that I've tried to engage. And I, I work hard to be able to engage with most people. Remember when you are this big as, as a kid, you learn to make yourself present in a room. But these guys, I just couldn't win. But I heard an amazing story of how in life group, first life group, opened up, and, and, and life is real. So grateful for that. If we could build with that. See, this world is, and this young generation, some of these younger guys, the millennials, who's a millennial? Who's under 32 or whatever it is, 35? No, you're not. <laughs> you just wear their clothing. But. <laughs> Put your hands up high. Put your hands up high. Okay, let me make one statement. I want a whole lot more of these guys, but this is the most judgmental community, age group, you'll ever meet. They are seeking for authenticity, and yet they don't want to give it themselves. They will judge you in nine seconds on your dress code and your posture. That's what, that's what it's telling us. They're telling us. Statisticians and researchers are telling us. And yet, honestly, they want to be a part of communities where authenticity is real, where we don't just drop and go where we go in and we get our hands dirty and our lives exposed and we realize that we're learning more than we're giving. Is that all right? God uses. Paul reminds us, ongoing in 1 Corinthians, he reminds us that, the, that God intentionally uses the weak amongst us to do miraculous things. All the time. Are you feeling weak this morning? God wants to use you. You're feeling like your story's insignificant? The gospel says God's seeking you out. Oh, I'm too old, I'm too frail, I'm too weak. Well, read about the post Timothy, who's timid, who was brought up by his mom and his grand. Not exactly the story a UFC fighter tells in the ring. Just want to thank my mom and my grand. It doesn't work. <laughs> who was sick, he said, have a little wine for your tummy, Timmy. God wants to get involved, and he uses the weakest amongst us to do amazing things, because he is glorious. And the gospel is spectacular. And I want to tell you a quick story and then two personal applications for all of us. One, and I've told this story before, but I remember a moment of vulnerability where I learned from a friend of mine. 
as the girl he had dated for eight years and wanted to be his wife decided to break up with him and two weeks later was pregnant with another man's child. In that same time, he lost his job and realized he had no studies, no opportunities, and he reached out in weakness and in vulnerability. He put his shriveled hand out to be vulnerable. And he called three of us who were his friends. I said, will you pray with me? Because I feel like my life is a shriveled hand. Because the woman I love and I feel I should marry is with someone else and having his child. I have no career prospects and life's not looking great. I stood on a beach on a June at five o'clock in Durban because people actually do stuff at five o'clock in Durban, not in Cape Town. And we prayed. I can tell you the names, I can tell you the faces, I can tell you the tears. It's now 12 years later. That man is married to that lady, adopted that girl, had two more kids, got an amazing business opportunity where he started low, but 12 years later, when we stick out our shriveled hand, it's not about quick fixes. This isn't a message of get a quick fix from Jesus. Just, I'm going to try this. I'm going to expose my brokenness. This is about a life lived. Where one shriveled hand, that could have been, he could have been so aware of the crowd, he chose to respond to Jesus. It's choosing to worship amidst a crowd that would judge. It's where miracles happen. And I want to just call us, because I honestly believe vulnerability is a key for us to see heaven on earth. I long to see heaven on earth. In heaven, there will be no sickness. Why do I pray and continue to pray for the sick? Because God says, desire to see. And one touched earth, Jesus. Because his feet touched this earth, we can continue to ask for heaven to break into this earth. But I look at this man with his shriveled hand and his years of insecurity, and I say, God, would I have made the same call he made when you said, stick out your hand? Personal application, to be vulnerable, maybe didn't mean to be honest about sin, brokenness, weakness. James 5 says this. He says, is anyone of you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs. Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And, 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 and people come and there's sin in the mix and say, what do I do? The Bible says confess to someone. Because on the other side of confession and the other side of exposing your shriveled hand, there's Jesus, the miracle worker who brings the dead to life. Is your marriage with it? Friendships? Thinking? And I want us to fight as a community for a culture of a church where we'd be vulnerable. Speaking the truth honestly, regardless of how hard it is. But I honestly think that this is an obedience issue. Do you want a handshake from Jesus? As a church, I don't want a handshake from Jesus. I don't want to tell the world, well, once years ago, I had a handshake from Jesus. I want to tell the world stories of today and yesterday and tomorrow where I received the healing that is Jesus. Let heaven come to earth. Imagine that hand as Jesus said, let it be whole. 
Imagine he's standing there and the blood begins to flow down his veins and he can start seeing blood and life come. Imagine the nerves gaining their power again. And for the first time in his life, fingers coming under control and the world of possibilities that open up to a man that has two functioning hands versus one. Imagine all the anxieties and fears just falling off him as the king of kings begins to work in his life. Who is Jesus? He's the one who keeps healing our shriveled hands. He's the one who keeps healing our shriveled hearts. He's the one who keeps saying in the midst of crowds where we could back down, do you just want a handshake with Jesus? Do you want a miracle? I want miracles. And yet I look back over my life how many times I back down because of a judging crowd. And when we sing these songs, how beautiful the name of Jesus, we don't sing them to say that we shook the hand of Jesus. We sing them because he is the miracle working God who restores and redeems, brings life with his death. And he never stopped. And he never stops doing that.